0: Okay, friends, we're going to be looking at a few verses in this chapter of uh, James 4. There's loads of stuff that we could look at. We could actually take this verse, we could take the book, in fact, and go through the book, which probably at some point in the future we will do. But we could start at verse verse 1 of chapter 4 and go through the whole lot and and find ourselves in it for quite a long time. But For this particular message at this time um, of New Year... I want to focus upon the verses 13 through 15, which I would think you would see as being kind of an obvious few verses for this New Year's Day. Come now, it says in verse 13, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapour that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. This letter of James is addressed to the twelve tribes of Israel who have been scattered abroad. He writes to them primarily on the subject of faith. And it's probably the, uh, the text in the, chapter 2, verse 26, for which this letter is so very well known. Which says, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead, That's what James says in his letter to the twelve tribes of Israel. Many people have debated that the Apostle Paul and James contradict each other when it comes to this verse. I don't know if you've heard the argument before or read about the argument before, but there is amongst Christendom people who think that they kind of clash together because James speaks of faith without works being dead. Paul speaks of justification by faith alone which is not of works, lest anyone should boast. While James states that faith without works is dead. The question is, do they contradict each other? Do James and Paul disagree? Well, we know, don't we, that Scripture doesn't contradict Scripture. That there are no contradictions. There may seem to be contradictions. But when we look into the whole of Scripture we realise that such things are ironed out. Scripture interprets Scripture. The answer, of course, to that question is no, they don't contradict each other, they don't argue, they don't debate, they are not uh, uh, at arms against each other. Paul is actually speaking of the work of regeneration in the soul of a person. That it is God who works in us by His Spirit. That it is God Himself that draws us to Himself, that He regenerates us, that He gives us the very faith which trusts in and relies solely upon Him. That faith in our hearts, in our minds, that causes us to trust in Him, to rely on Him, is a gift from Him. We are justified, we stand before God. Legally right before him. Legally just before him. By faith. And faith alone. And that faith is a gift of God. We cannot do anything. There is no work. That can possibly enable us. To earn the grace. The mercy. And the favour. Of God. Salvation is simply a work of God alone. So what does James mean when he says that faith without works is dead? Do you remember what John the Baptist said to those Pharisees and Sadducees who came out to his baptism? Do you remember what he said to them? <coughs> he said to them, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. You see, true repentance is more than kind of confessing or uttering words of sorrow. There is action involved. There is something to be done, something to see. A real turning away from a life lived in sin, merely to please oneself. A visible sorrow for a life lived wrongly along with a new joy which knows the forgiveness of god and longs to walk in a new way by the power of the holy spirit which now abides within the believer this action to be made he says bring forth the fruits we ought to be seeing the fruits of repentance. Don't, don't just come and don't just speak. But you need to be seen to be somebody who is repentant. There are fruits born of a tree. If, for instance, we didn't have any idea what an apple tree looked like, how do we tell them it's an apple tree? <clears throat> because we see the fruit that it bears. When a, an apple uh, grows on the tree, we say, that's an apple tree. And it's the same for any other tree, any other bush, any other thing that we look at, any plant that we see. We know what it is by the fruit that it bears. Even false prophets, the scripture says, you know them by their fruits. See, James is speaking of a similar thing with regards to faith. Faith is not just something we profess to have by our mouths. It's not... It's not only something that we might say is invisible, that happens within and can only be known by how we speak. Anybody can say, I have faith. And this is what James is saying. It's easy for you to have faith in your confession, your profession. I have faith. He says, show it by your works. Faith without works cannot be called faith. With faith comes action. This is what James is saying. With faith, fruit is born. Basically, real faith displays itself in works. If we truly believe upon Christ, if we truly have faith, In Christ, if we've truly been regenerated, we've been born again, if we've been made a new creation in Christ by the work of God alone, then the truth is, friends, that the lives that we live will bear real fruit of it. We can't be saved by works. This is what Paul is very careful to be teaching. There is nothing, no amount of works that you can do, no amount of preaching that I can do from this pulpit that will save me from sin. But what we do, what I do, what you do in your faith as a Christian is worked, born out of what Christ has done in you. If true faith has been wrought in us, it will be displayed openly. By the works that we do. Faith without works is just words. Do you agree with that? Faith without works is just words. It's just confession. It's just profession. You know, the, the, the worldly the phrase says, doesn't it? Actions speak louder than words. If we are Christians, How are people to know? Is it just because I'm going to go up to them and tell them, oh, by the way, look, I've got a WWJD band, I've got a cross uh, around my neck, and uh, I'm a Christian. Or do they need to see the life that you live, the faith that you have, as they watch you? The truth is, people, there are actually many people that watch us. You'd be surprised to know how many people watch our lives. And that that moment, that one moment, you could live a life, actually, uh, of great faith and it be seen. And the moment you slip up just once, that will be what's pointed out to you. However, we don't spend time on that. We live our lives before God as we ought to. James speaks of faith amidst trials. Loving God whilst under such trials. Being doers of the word rather than hearers only. Like sitting in this church this morning and every morning and every evening sitting listening to sermons and and them just going in one ear and out the other. And them not stirring up your hearts to change and to not take action upon what you've heard. (coughs) That is what he's talking about. That we ought to be doers of the word, rather than just merely hear us only. He he goes on to speak throughout this letter of of dangers of the tongue. He speaks of having personal favouritism, the difference in earthly and heavenly wisdom. These are the subjects that he speaks of, all of which faith is vital if we're to live rightly. In chapter 4, we come to the subjects of pride and humility. Judging our fellow believing brothers and sisters, and then it goes on to speak of boasting in our future. The scriptures say, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, we'll spend a year there, we'll buy and sell, we'll make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapour that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. You know, outside of our window in the kitchen, it's where our boiler is. And when it's on in the winter, you can see when it's on outside because it just throws the steam out. But if you were to turn that off, the steam wouldn't hang around, would it? It just disappears, it dissipates. That's what our life is. It's what our life is like. We said at the very beginning of this service, 2023, I remember Y2K like it was yesterday. 23 years have gone by and it seems like only yesterday. Life is a vapor. And the truth is, we don't know how long we have. We don't know if we have tomorrow. We don't know uh, if we have the rest of today. That's the reality of the life in which we live. Today is New Year's Day. The first of January. The first day of a brand new year. It is at this time of year that uh, countless people across the globe, perhaps even every one of us to some degree, stop and take stock of their lives. How they've been living. And along with this self-examination can often come big declarations. Perhaps self-driving promises of change that must be made. Maybe it's a, a better job. Maybe it's earning more money for the family. Could be spending more time at home with the kids. More often than not, there is a desire to get into better shape, go on a diet, things like that, to live and possibly to eat healthier. And I have no doubt that some of you here this morning, when examining your life as a professing believer in Christ, that you have sincerely said to yourself, That you will be more spiritual. That you'll get more spiritually fit this year. That's perhaps something that you've thought about. Maybe you're going to pray more. (coughs) Maybe you're going to read the scriptures more. Give a greater portion of your personal time for study. Maybe you've promised yourself that. Maybe you're going to serve the church more. And when it comes down to it, how many of these declarations, how many of these resolutions actually come to fruition? I dare say that most fizzle out within days or maybe weeks. Particularly keeping fit, possibly, for most of us. But if you've got the fitness book, maybe you'll carry it on for a bit. This is largely to do with the fact that mankind are fickle, mutable, or changeable. Our desires quickly go from one thing to another thing. Or we've simply not counted the cost, or thoroughly thought through what is really needed to make such changes may also be that we've conceded to the whims of others wanting to please someone else. As I've said, there are those who are absolutely driven, those who rise to new heights, those who achieve great goals, those who make a name for themselves. And when I say that, I'm reminded of that, uh, that story, that account in Genesis chapter 11 of the building of the Tower of Babel. It says that they came, these people came, and said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. See what they say there. That's that's the point of this. Let us make a name for ourselves. Pride of man and disregard Of their creator was the issue here. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to put ourselves on a big pedestal. We want to reach the heights of heaven ourselves. And we can do this. We're great men. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's self-promote. Let's bring personal glorification. Remember also the arrogance of King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel 4 verses 28 through 33 we read this. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power? and for the honour of my majesty. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The, king, uh, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know That the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he wishes. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like birds' claws. See the arrogance of the man. Think about King Herod as well, who when everybody was chanting and cheering, who said, he is God. And he didn't correct them. And he accepted that glorification. What did it say of him? He said that he died on the spot and was eaten by worms. This man, who was looking at his kingdom and saying, this is what I have done. I have made this by my mighty power, disregarding the God of heaven and earth. See, James warns his readers in chapter 4 that pride promotes strife. Wars and fights among them come from their own worldly desires for pleasure. They lust after things that they don't have. How many of us do such things? We lust after things we don't have. Striving. To obtain wrong things for wrong reasons. Maybe even right things for wrong reasons. We have covetousness which leads to all kinds of sin. Asking things of God which are asked with wrong intentions. To be spent in ungodly ways. The pleasures and the desires of an earthly or worldly heart. Whoever therefore who wants to be a friend of the world, James states, makes himself an enemy of God. Doesn't uh, John say the same thing in 1 John? It's, Do not love the world. Do not be lovers of the world. That's what he warns. Here's just a quick read out of context. Or a passing glance at our text, we may form an opinion that after laboring the point that faith without works is dead, James seems to contradict himself by advising his readers that making any plans for the future is futile. After all, isn't he saying that no one knows what tomorrow will bring? Is that not the point he's making? Isn't our life... Simply a vapor here today, gone tomorrow? What use is there in making any plans for our future? Is James teaching us to be passive regarding our future? Is that what he's doing here? Are we just to live for today? with a K, sarah, sarah, whatever will be will be attitude is that what James is telling us to do in these verses I think you know the answer or do you know the answer let's look at a handful of scriptures that will be helpful in this regard James, sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There are good works prepared beforehand for all those who God has chosen to be his own, that they ought to, should, and will ultimately walk in The Lord has prepared those good works in advance. The question we might ask then is what are these good works? What are they? Is it to be the next Charles Spurgeon? Is it to be another George Whitfield? Is it to be another Martin Lloyd-Jones? Well maybe but is everybody going to be like that I don't think so Martin Lloyd-Jones was Martin Lloyd-Jones there'll be never another one of him there'll never be another Charles Haddon Spurgeon nor another George Whitfield there may be those who are like them but they'll never be the same in this same letter in chapter 5 to Ephesians, Paul exhorts husbands to love their wives as Christ loves his bride, the church. Also says that wives ought to submit to their husbands. Children are to obey their parents and fathers are to raise their children in the training and admonition of the Lord without provoking them to wrath. These are the instructions of Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12 says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, <coughs> to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen says, He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. <clears throat> These scriptures encourage us in some ways to do very normal things love your wives, love your husbands, raise your children. Spend time with them. Let them know that they're loved by you. Work hard. Work righteously. Don't tip the scales. Those kind of things. Lead a quiet life. Don't don't provoke people unnecessarily. These, friends, are all part of the good works that God has prepared beforehand for us to do. Sometimes we tend to have too grandiose opinion or an idea of what these works are. God may very well use us mightily in one way, shape or another, but we are to submit to living a godly life in a normal manner. In the everyday life that we live, God has called us to live those good works out. Both Jesus and the apostles command that we ought to love each other as Christ loved us, to lay our lives down for each other if necessary. God has given us lives to live, hasn't he? We're not just mechanical, we're not robots. He's given us lives to live, and we ought to live them. And we ought to live them doing all things as unto the Lord, as the scripture tells us. Loving our spouse, as we've said, loving our families, raising our children, rightly giving them time, having fun with them, making sure they're loved, going to work with a godly attitude towards all. Providing for your family and giving generously to the work of the ministry of the church. Not forsaking the gathering of the saints. Exhorting, teaching, lifting up one another, encouraging each other. Correcting one another. Bearing one another's burdens and their joys. Studying God's word and seeking knowledge of Him, being unceasing in prayer and always being ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. All these are inclusive of the good works prepared beforehand that we all ought to walk in. Pleasing God. That's the good work. Pleasing God. It pleases God when we walk in these ways. Living the, law, uh, the life that the Lord has given us involves us making plans. James is not encouraging his readers to live life nonchalantly. Having no interest in anything, no aspiration in life, just floating along life, waiting for heaven, if you like. He's not, it's not, it's not um, asking you to be that way. But I want you to bring to remembrance those words of the Lord Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke twenty-two forty-two 42 says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your be done. Now, returning to the text in James 4 we realise the context is dealing with pride and humility before we come to these few verses. We see in Paul's missionary journeys that he often made plans to go to certain cities even intending to stop off at other locations on his way. Many places he was able to visit in which he accomplished great things. Other places and other times he was delayed Something came up to redirect him. Some places he was expressly told not to go to by the Spirit of God. But all these things that he was doing were done prayerfully by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Paul absolutely relied upon the direction of God for everything that he did. And everywhere he went. And if you remember, even Jesus himself said that he only did and he only spoke the things that his father told him to do and to speak. He only did as his father directed him. The type of person that James is here referring to is different. But what he says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there. Buy and sell. And make a profit. Here is someone. Who is proud and boastful. This is what I am going to do. One who assumes. That today and tomorrow. Are absolutely his. That personal success. Is his for the taking. There appears to be. No humble recognition of God at all, but a definite presumption that He will go. That He will go where He wants to go. That He'll do what He wants to do. That He'll have the time that He wants. That He'll have all the success that He wants. But the truth is given in the statement that follows You do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is a vapour that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Again, it has to be said, doesn't it? Don't all of us recognise how fast the years of our lives have flown by? How it seems only a short time ago that we were in the prime of life. We were young. Now we may be much older and we may say, where did the time go? Life is a vapour and we ought to spend the time we have in the service of the Lord, not arrogantly chasing self-promotion, success or riches or the best life that we can have. Scripture says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world that loses soul? Life is short. And God has given us talents. Some he's given five. Some he's given two. Some he's given one. The talents are his. And it is our duty to multiply them until his return. Not to bury them. That's our duty. Our time ought to be lived For his glory. Not to seek after glory for ourselves. God will glorify his saints. The scripture says. That Jesus when he comes is glorified in his saints. The Lord himself promotes us. He says doesn't he. When you go to a wedding and you sit at a seat. Don't sit at the highest one. Unless they come and they say to you. You sat in the wrong place there. You need to get lower. You'll be embarrassed. Instead, sit at the lowest place. For the host might come and say, no, move yourself up to the higher place. It's Christ that exalts us. Those who are exalt themselves will be humbled, the scripture says. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. You don't need to live this life hankering after success. Hankering after riches. Desiring those things that those Gentiles or the heathen or the worldly people desire. Our lives are to be lived for the glory of God. James goes on to advise us what our outlook to life and all the plans we make should be. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Whatever plans that we have, whatever plans that we make, must be put before the Lord, as Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. It's not about not making plans. It's not about not aspiring to something in the future. With our plans and desires, they may, they may not be God's will for us, because we have hearts of flesh and desires and lust. this is what he says early on in this chapter, you lust after things and aren't right. You, you ask for things wrongly. You ask amiss. And what he's saying is this, that the desires of your heart, the plans that you make, they may not be God's will for your life. And so submit therefore to God. Submit your plans to him. Of course have them. But be ready for God to say that's not my will for you. They may very well have been birthed from fleshly lusts, from covetousness. And we might even think that we have good intentions in the things that we long for, the things we plan to achieve, maybe even doing it for the Lord. How many times have you thought to yourself, if I just had that bit more money, I could could pay the church mortgage off. I I could build a side room, I could do this, I could do that, I could do the other. It might be that you feel like you have that good intention to do something for the Lord, but that might not be God's will for you. God alone knows the truth and the intentions of our hearts. So, as we enter a new year where our future always is set before our eyes, are we to make plans? The answer is yes. We can make plans. We can think on possibly moving house or or maybe going to live in another place. We can seek after a better position of employment. Plan a holiday somewhere. All sorts of things, perhaps, could be in our plans. But our attitude always ought to be one of humility rather than proud, arrogant. And boastful, which is what James is warning us about. We should never assume to declare what we will and will not do, but humbly submit ourselves and any plans that we have unto the Lord and His will for our lives. Proverbs 19 20 and 21 says this Listen to the counsel and receive instruction. That you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. The fact of the matter is that your life will run the course that was planned by the Lord. You may have it in your heart to be rich. You may long for riches. And God sometimes does allow... Christians, to have riches. But it may not be for you. It may not be for you. We have to be humble and say, whatever God has got planned for my life, all of my plans aside, that will stand. That will be done. Proverbs again, 3 verses 5 to 6, a scripture well known by us all, I'm sure. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. It is unto the Lord we must trust. We must lay it all before Him. Our entire lives are His, and He will direct us in the way we ought to go. And lastly, Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit your works to the Lord. And your thoughts will be established. There are others, aren't they? The Psalms that say, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. But I believe that the desires of your heart are the desires that God places there. Not the fleshly lusts. The footsteps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. We will have whatever success the Lord deems us to have. We will go wherever the Lord desires us to go. We will accumulate the possessions the Lord has decided to give us. Nothing more, nothing less. If we love the Lord, we will not be of the mind that we will simply do what we want. Because we're not of our own. We're not our own. We've been bought with a great cost. We belong to the Lord. We are His possession. The things of the earth are temporary. We must keep our focus on that which is eternal. Not laying up treasures on earth where they will be destroyed, but in heaven where rust and moth cannot destroy. And we should never think of ourselves or our station more highly than we ought May the Lord destroy any pride, any arrogance, any boastful attitude within us, causing us to be humble, and like unto our Lord himself, submit our ways unto our Heavenly Father. And this new year, as it comes, with all the plans we may have, with all the desires of our hearts, knowing that we're sinners, knowing that we're frail, knowing that there is wickedness in our hearts, simply say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you has given us the freedom to make plans. And that in this scripture that we have been dealing with is to do with pure pride and humility. Lord, we pray that you make us of a humble disposition. Lord, that we might not say what we are going to do and what we're not going to do. But Lord, that we might always say, God willing." And that we might always be submissive. That we might actually accept the lot that you've given us. Even if it's one where we're always seemingly to be in want. In need. Lord, we may, that we may be happy to accept the lot in which you've seen fit to have us. And Lord, whatever station that you've given us. Whatever possessions that you allow us to have. Whatever home, whatever car, whatever uh, career. Or may we be humble in it. Whether we have much, whether we have little. And may we live our lives, Lord God, unto the glory of the Lord Jesus. May we do all, may we achieve all, may we plan all according to the Lord. And let, let us say, Lord, not our will. your will be done in our lives for we know as we've read in scripture and there's no getting away from the fact that we are your purchased possession lord that you will do with us according to your will according to your wishes nobody can stop your hand and all according to what you planned and decreed for us will come to pass but lord we're speaking of our attitude toward it may it be of one of humble disposition help us then we pray lord god to live our lives as we enter this new year, as we think, Lord God, possibly about our future. Lord, that it is all in your hands that we trust you. And that whatever plans we may have, we submit them to you. And we say, Lord, have your way with us. Do all according to your will, we pray. For your glory, for your honour, and for the lifting up of your name in our lives. And in the lives of those around us. Lord, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <music> you.